Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, welcome to episode 97 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Coatsy, what's up, man? We're almost to 100. Hey, Rich, it's very exciting, isn't it? I think I, I think I timed my run just exactly right. Like you come in at episode 94 and you sprint to the finish rather than you and, and Jeremy who are sort of on, the, on the, the long marathon and some people just don't make it, you know? that's What, what can I say? You're that, you're that guy that jumped on the subway car and, and like made it to like mile 25 and jumped out. <laughs> Well, I mean, nice. it's, it's called working smarter, not harder, I think. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we, we still need to think up of something epic to do for episode 100. I know that for episode 100 of the Microsoft Cloud Roadshow, which uh, Chris Johnson and Andrew Connell, good friends of ours, uh, they, they host that show. For their 100th episode, they had their wives actually do the podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and basically, they gave them a bunch of questions of like, hey, what is the cloud? Unfortunately, my wife is pretty savvy. She's, she does IT consulting. So right. and I, don't, I don't think that one will work for us. We'll have to come up with something original. But uh, anyway, it's coming up soon. I'm looking forward to it. It should be lots of fun. And, uh, and we might even be together for it. You never know. That's, uh, that, that's coming up pretty soon, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're going to be in the States. So, will, you know. It's been a really quiet – in fact, like the only like big news has been like outside the tech world, really, uh, the whole uh, Brexit thing. You guys are a, a British colony. Is that pretty big uh, news down in Australia? Yeah, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as a British colony anymore. But, uh, but yes, we were at one stage a British colony, as, as you were. Uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, uh, we didn't reject the British with quite the same um, vigor as you guys did. But um, – the uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been really interesting. It, it, just from a purely economic point of view, we've 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 been more and more divorced from the Brits. We're a long way away from them, and although they're very important to us culturally, they're nowhere near our biggest trading partners. We're, we're doing most of our trade with you guys and with uh, and with uh, China and India uh, as, as the big economies of the world and, and the rest of Asia. So um, very important culturally, really interesting uh, politically, but uh, but over here it's been it's. Uh, we're in the midst of our own um, um, uh, election campaign, and so it's been of passing interest. But that's about it. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I know it certainly impacts a lot of our our friends in the developer community. So hopefully, um, everyone's doing good, and uh, we'll stay friends. <laughs> Absolutely, and if you do need to, of yeah. course, the borders are still fairly porous. Just pop on across. We 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 love having you over here, particularly if you're losing at the cricket. We love telling you about that. <laughs> That was the, that was the other big thing, I guess. Like uh, the UK, like their their uh, soccer team did horrible too, lost to Iceland. There yeah, was some statistic yeah, that again, don't don't um don't don't confuse the UK with England. It was just England who lost to Iceland. The Welsh and the and the Irish and the and the Northern Irish and the Scots didn't lose to Iceland. Just England. Very yeah, very very cool. But yes, you're right. I heard that same statistic. I think. Yeah. So the the the, the um the, the 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 English manager was paid what four and a half million dollars. And, yeah, uh, and the Iceland guy was like a, a volunteer or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was he was a part time <laughs> dentist. You know. <laughs> anyway, you, you, we, we can we can rag on the English for as, as much as we like. I, I find it a little bit harder at the moment because they just they just beat us pretty comprehensively at rugby. So I need to be a little bit a little bit humble. But um, you know, you, you go for it. 
we're we're like out of my element completely with sports. <laughs> I mean, like I I thought maybe getting rid of Jeremy, who always wanted to talk about ice hockey, yeah. like I would be in better state. But I hear you're talking cricket, and of course, I guess I brought up soccer, but. Um, oh well, well I, uh, I've seen some photos of you, man, which will look pretty sporting. You're a, you're a runner, right? But you're also I understand you were a gymnast. I was a long time ago when a, I was, and a uh, fairly high level one. Like I, I was pretty competitive, but uh, you know, there's that only goes so far. And then uh, I did did a lot of running, and now I that I have a kid, I haven't run in like two months. So, uh, <laughs> it kind of yeah. makes up for it. Very cool. Well, what's happening in the office world, man? You know, again, it's been a quiet week. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of like big like office blogs news. A few little things. Uh, the Delve, which is always a really interesting, I, I call it my spy app. I can I follow all the the engineers that I'm interested in what they're working on, and it'll show me what they're working on as long as they haven't like put really tight security on it. Um, there, there's actually a, a preview of a Delve app for Windows 10. Ooh. Uh, I've heard a lot of really positive feedback from it that it uh, has a really cool user interface. I haven't personally uh, tried that yet, but uh, something for the listeners. If you're interested in Delve, maybe check that out. It's definitely one of the things I always show off when I'm talking about the value that Office brings. Um, and you know, it, and lots of the, the lots of the stuff that Delve services is also available through the the Microsoft Graph through the Office Graph piece of the Microsoft Graph. And that's um, you know, the the idea that you can reach into this set of rich analytics as part of your application is something that, that gets a lot of, a lot of partners and, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, ISPs pretty excited. Uh, uh, ISVs, I mean, very, pretty excited. It, yeah, it's- you, know, you know, it's funny. Like I, was, I was going through looking at like our vision slides uh, and you know, every slide deck that we put together around Office 365 development usually has like a set of like really standard vision slides around what we think the opportunity is for developers and like how we're how we're addressing that opportunity uh so like our opportunity we always talk about the fact that there's you know one two 1.2 billion users of office we have this huge amount of data in the cloud and we're doing machine learning on top of that that you can tap into well what's cool is just like really quietly like this wasn't like a big announcement but We've always talked about, well, the way you address that is through add-ins and APIs. It's always been add-ins and APIs. Right. And what one of the really subtle things we did is we add kind of this third pillar here just like a month ago, around build, I guess, which was insights. And that's really right. what Delve is. It's those insights. And we're adding more and more to it. Um, actually, I have, a, I have an office dev show that uh, Yina Arenas recorded that's just sitting in queue waiting for some things to hit GA around some more exciting insight stuff. So I'll just tickle your uh, interest with that, that that'll be coming here soon. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that to me, that's some of the biggest secret sauce that we have going on in the productivity cloud these days. Right, right. And the other the other really interesting thing that, uh, that we looked at at Build around Office Dev was this uh, the, the idea of conversations, and that that's another one of those pillars that kind of got added. I always talk about you know extending Office and then connecting to the APIs, and then we kind of added this other stuff, which was the the conversations a platform piece, which uh, which is really cool. Yeah, and and you know that's a, a again, it's to me, it's it's you know it's things like the bots that we talked about with Matt a few weeks ago, right. and I think today. Um, since it's kind of a quiet week, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that both of us have been working on. I've been doing a lot of things with connectors with Office 365, and and that certainly um, 
is is in that conversations realm. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Skype APIs. There's a lot going on with Skype right now. I think you'll see some really exciting things coming out of the Skype teams um, this summer. There's so much uh, and, potential and, there with Skype, right? Because of the, you know the idea of of being able to have that that integrate all that conversation piece plus some some smart um, some smart bots with your with your application. That that just blows my mind with the, the sort of things that people can achieve. You know, I, I got to say, like, of all the technologies ever in my life that were life changing, uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say that Skype was one of them. And here's why: is uh, it's not so much like like the the standard things you get, like instant message and presence, like that certainly changed things a lot. But to me, like, this is sounds trivial, but one of the most like really like transformational things in how I work was when I started being able to just click a hyperlink to join a conference, you know, like I, I forget how painful it was in the days of like having to like find the dial in code and, you know, press pound and all that sort of thing. Like I don't, like I don't do that anymore. No, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And so like being able to, as a developer, maybe being able to tap into that and do uh, more around that. I, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. You just did a a pretty, uh, a pretty neat dev show with, um, uh, on on Angular two and, and the graph as well, and that 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 the idea that you know you've now got that entire power of thing. We've always talked about the graph as having the power of all this stuff behind the scenes, being able to surface new application. But uh, the show you did uh, on getting started with with Angular two is very very neat. Yeah, you know what's cool? I'll point out two things that are really interesting about that show. Uh, definitely check it out. Like within fifteen minutes from like blank nothing. Within 15 minutes, I was connecting to the graph and querying data. Right. Uh, I'm 15 minutes. I mean, that's everything. And there was a few things that really made that easy. One is the Angular team, uh, to their uh, I guess to their uh, work, put together a quick start template in Git, uh, and so you can just clone this to your own project. Uh, you know, just do a normal Git right. clone and say. But instead of it being called Quick Start, I'm going to call it, you know, uh, Richard's application. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I can just go remove the Git folder. And basically, it's no longer tied to that repo. And I can just do whatever I want with it. Sure. And it has all this stuff set up in it that's that's awesome. I mean, it's really stuff that, like, if I had to do it all by hand, it would take a day. I'd probably take me a week to figure out all the stuff that they have going on around watchers to see if things have changed so that they can recompile the TypeScript. Mm. There's all kinds of things in there that they've done. Um, and it's a really good starting template. Uh, and so we've seen things like Visual Studio templates and Yeoman. And I thought that was just a kind of cool approach is just, hey, just go clone it and then do whatever you want with it. Absolutely. Um, I that's then, very, very neat. And then the other cool thing in that show, uh, we didn't get around to talking to, with Matt about this, but we, I guess, mentioned it in passing on the show two weeks ago. And then there was a post last week that we had in like the weekly updates from um, who who was that? I remember. Oh, uh, Bill Barnes mm-hmm. um, in in my org uh, that uh, around this thing called Curve. Yeah. Um, and Curve is is Dutch for graph. And Curve is really – there's two components. One is there's a part of Curve that just makes authentication easy, uh, and then there's a part of Curve that works with the Microsoft Graph. And so what I did in the, the Angular 2 uh, video was I used Curve. And um, I've seen lots of demos of Curve, and I've been somewhat involved with what that team's been doing. 
But this is, I'll have to admit, this is the first time I've sat down and actually used that library in a solution. And oh my gosh, it's freaking awesome. I mean, it is, it's so, so easy. It's like one line authenticates me and then um, everything is really nicely, like strongly typed. I can say graph.me.messages and it's all uses promises. It's really, really cool. So yeah, definitely check out that show um, if you're interested in Angular or want to just see how you can work with our APIs easier in JavaScript. Curve is not an Angular thing. It's just a JavaScript thing. Right. So you can use it with whatever your favorite framework is. Right. As, as, a, as a .NET and XAML guy who's really struggling in this un, untyped TypeScript world, uh, sorry, JavaScript world, I, I, I love the fact that we're kind of moving back towards what to me means seems sanity. Like we, uh, JavaScript has always seemed like this weird sideways step that the, the, the industry took. We, 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 we understood how to write good code. We had something that managed our memory for us and, and did, all the, did all the busy work behind the scenes. And now we had to go back and do that ourselves in JavaScript and work out what type things were. And that was all, uh, but I think sanity is being returned and, and uh, people are starting to, to, to come to their senses about how to, how to write code again. Yeah, I mean, I, I know personally my biggest challenge was and I've, you know, I've worked with JavaScript as long as I've worked with compiled languages, but the fact that it never, you know, it didn't compile, it didn't, there wasn't at least like that first gut check that I have right. something missing. And half the time it wouldn't even like blow up. Like it was like browsers would write them, they, they build browsers to be forgiving mm -hmm. for like bad JavaScript. So like things like missing semicolons and, you know, poor, even missing brackets and things like that. Like they would, uh, browsers would try to, be like dumbed down for developers and and so typescript again it brings that like you said it brings that back and and hopefully we'll have more solid scripts so you don't go to these sites and things lock up on you so. right right and then and then the tooling is, is getting much better as well it, it's uh you know it, it javascript also oh, the the that 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 uh that that world seemed to me like it like our it used to be when we when we first got xaml i, I remember seeing the first xaml demos and that was all being hand coded, and we'll have tooling one day was the promise. And now we've got this awesome XAML tooling uh, for for all sorts of uh, for all sorts of uh, layout and binding and and, and uh, um, uh, uh, um, storyboards and uh, triggers and all those sort of things all just happen in the tooling. Which and you don't have to hand the hand tool that hand code that stuff. And that's my that's my vision for the for the JavaScript future as well. You'll have to tell me about that more because I'm still one of those sad souls that. Does everything by hand, I guess. <laughs> well, interesting. So uh, I've, I've been I've, I've been keeping myself busy this week by trying to replicate something you did uh, uh, in uh, in JavaScript and Cordova, which was the uh, Excel uh, graph API sample that, that you wrote. I've been replicating uh -huh. that in uh, in Xamarin Forms, and and I have to say that, that that I have been hand coding the XAML and the Xamarin Forms piece because there's not great tooling for that yet. Um, but the rest of it is uh, is all my beautiful Visual Studio and uh, and and and, and uh, compile time checking and, and all that sort of stuff. But I every once in a while I'll, I'll kick off my uh, kick off my uh, my project to, to to test it and I'll get a uh, a XAML pass error because I've missed out a a, a a a greater than sign or I've I've left off a, I've misspelt something in the inside the uh, inside one of the the attributes. So that's uh, that's still a bit painful, but it's getting there. It's getting it's getting really good. Very cool. So one of the one of the other things I would say that was a pretty big announcement. It's not a big impact to the Office developers, but it is something that kind of is in that space. Is Azure Active Directory updated 
uh, basically uh, updated the service to have new admin roles. Uh, this is something that I know that um, a lot of people have been anxiously awaiting. Uh, you know, as it stands now, there there wasn't a lot of delineation between <laughs> someone that could do a whole bunch in your Azure AD uh, tenant versus you know just a, a normal user, and so um, this provides uh, a whole different uh, level of, of roles. So there's now a privileged role administrator, a security administrator, and a security reader that can do um, you know various various tasks okay. in your Azure AD. That, that's cool. So this is not something that you need to create for your users. It's something you need to add, uh, manage your Active Directory. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, what I haven't looked to see is if there is, you know, because right now there are a hand, what, what, what would be really interesting with this, and I should have done my homework a little bit more is, you know, today when I work with things like the Microsoft Graph, there are certain permissions that need to be admin consented to. Uh, a good example are things like groups. Um, and so what I don't know is if any of these, like instead of being a global administrator, if I'm like, like maybe now can I uh, allocate like a security administrator role if they can admin consent some of these applications. I didn't see it in my kind of my first read of this, um, anything around that, but um, maybe that's something we can follow up on next week with this because um, I know that that is, it's a pain point for us. Uh, I know I'll write something really cool and I can't consent to it in Microsoft's tenant. Um, and I'm sure some right. of our listeners run into that as well. All right, I'm making notes for next week's show. Okay. What about you, Ju? Anything on the blogosphere that was of interest to you? So the thing that I came across was uh, uh, Alan Pulliman's post about WAPI. Um, you, you've been doing a lot of work on, on WAPI. You're kind of, a, in some ways, the, our WAPI champion. Now, for those for people who don't know about WAPI, tell us a little bit about what that is. I always forget what the acronym stands for. It's like Web Open Protocol Interface, I think. We'll just say that's it. Yeah, so, sure. For, t for today, that's what WAPI stands for. <laughs> um, but ultimately, WAPI is is a protocol that we use to allow ultimately any any kind of third party or ourselves to display documents in Office Online. So Office Online, you know, where you work with Office documents in a browser, it's all powered by a WAPI interface and. So we, through what we call the Cloud Storage Partner Program, we allow third-party storage providers to basically, if, if they're storing Office documents, we would love for those Office documents to stay in Office and not in one of these like kind of foobar third-party viewer controls. Some right. of them might have some lightweight editing. We want it to be a familiar experience to users. And so um, we started doing this, oh gosh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and we did it with, you know, partners like Dropbox and Box right. and um, many others. And so we were starting to make that more of like a, an open program to where any storage provider can do it. And so um, it is a little bit more obscure, um, you know, building a WAPI interface because it's not everyone that's doing it. It's just specific partners. But for those that um, are storing documents, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, and so... I've built a WAPI host before. Uh, it's out on GitHub. It's actually part of Patterns and Practices. It's PNP WAPI. Uh, I, I point everybody there. at it. Every time I talk about WAPI, I said, you've got to go and look at this thing. Yeah, and well, the one b bad side of it is, is 
I just like I just wanted to see what it was like to build a WAPI like implementation. I kind of picked my favorite technologies for it. I'm I'm a big fan of Document DB and MongoDB, so right. like that was my data source where I put everything and um and blob storage for the files and um. So let's go back a step, Rich, because I think I, I, I whenever I talk to people about WAPI, they, they take a little moment or two to get their head around what it is. So it's the idea is that you can have your own document store that's not related at all to SharePoint or OneDrive or, 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 uh, or OneDrive for Business, where you keep documents. It might be a document management system. It might be some database. But for some reason, you don't want to let those documents out anywhere else. But you do want to let people edit them in that familiar web interface. And so you can now set up an interface, a set, a set of, uh, of, of endpoints, rest, uh, web endpoints that allow the, the Word Online or the Excel Online um, uh, 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 applications to reach into your document store to display that information on the, the user's, uh, in the user's browser for them to edit and for that to get stored back into your document store, right, which is without going through any of our servers essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good uh, description for the SharePoint people in the world. What I, the way I describe it is, imagine like most most organizations don't have just one content management system, unfortunately. So they'll have like some SharePoint and maybe some Documentum. Imagine you having Documentum and you want your Documentum files when you click on them to open an Office Online. Like that's the concept is this some sort of third party storage provider, and you want it to open uh, and have that like really familiar. Office experience, um, regardless of where those files live. So right. yeah, that's exactly it. Right. And we do it very secure. Um, you know, like you said, there's some endpoints, but there's also a lot of security that goes into place. Um, we have to wipe your endpoints, right? As part of the process, your endpoints get registered with us. That that only these endpoints can be used. That's right. Yeah, and and beyond that, we um, you as as the provider, you generate your own like token that we don't even like. We aren't even able able to decrypt. It's something that when we call back into uh, your system, we pass that token back, and and then you can like validate it. So there's there. I mean, it's in a sense like there's there's no way that um, these documents can leak outside of the system, even though you're providing an endpoint for us to call into. Right. Super secure, and it it. Um, I mean, I, the ultimate goal is is if it's Office, it should be viewed in office and that's what right. this achieves makes make, makes a bunch of sense and alan's done a really nice job of um of, of explaining that stuff in his in his blog post from uh, from earlier uh, earlier this month it's uh, yeah it, and so it's what, definitely worth having a look at what alan did actually was he looked at my sample and he was like well richard hard-coded a whole bunch of stuff he was a bad developer and <laughs> uh and he was—he's right. I did. I like it was hard coded to use blob storage and hard coded to use document DB. And what he said is, I, I, like right now, if a partner wanted to like go and implement something like this, they'd have to like rip out a bunch of stuff. Yet, like everything has to follow a specific kind of interface. Why don't I like like abstract that away so that it's something that can be easily leveraged by others? So what Alan did is, anyone that's building a WAPI host using uh, ASP.NET MVC. Uh, literally can just plop in his framework and it gets you a really good portion of the way there. Great. Yeah, very cool. I, I, it's, it's, I also, I'm now also always pointing people at that post as, whenever they ask me about Whoppy, which is, which is yep. very useful. Yep. Very cool. Um, one other thing that I, I found out on the blogosphere, and this is about it for the week, um, was Elio Struif and, and uh, Victor Whelan, they've been doing a ton of stuff around Gulp. 
Mm-hmm. Like they are now like they fully embrace this like gulp tasks and and so we talked about Elio a couple of weeks ago. He created a a gulp task for deploying display templates into SharePoint Online. Right. Yep. And it looks like these guys did a one of them built kind of the first iteration. It looks like uh, Wichter was first, and then Elio kind of enhanced it a little bit further, but just built a little gulp task to take files and uh, synchronize those to a SharePoint library. So rather than getting like the whole heavyweight uh, sync engine that um, like the OneDrive for business process uses, just, hey, I just want to like, it's almost like a migration tool in a way of, I have some files in a folder on my desktop, and I want to go and shove those into a SharePoint uh, library, whether that be online or on-premises. And that's mm. kind of what, what they did. That's cool. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, just having a quick look at it now. It, it looks actually very neat. They, they've done some uh, using Gulp Watches and, and some of the, the new tech. And this is, this is one of the things that I love about our industry, man, is that every time you think you've kind of got your, your, little, your little area nailed, Someone comes along with a better tool that it's definitely worth looking at and, and learning and, 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 and mastering if possible. Uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of more functionality and, and, uh, and efficiency that you've now got access to. Very, very cool stuff. Yep. Yep. So, man, yep. what else has been keeping you busy? You've been, uh, you've been playing with this, this, this concept of connectors, and we, we sort of we touched on it briefly, but let's, let's, let's delve down into that a little bit. All right. Well, um, yeah, so... One of the things that, that the DX organization that both um, Coates and myself are a part of, uh, we are starting to look at for our next year. And when I say year, like it's Microsoft, our physical year is starts in July. So we're we're at the end of our year, basically. It's almost the end of the year. And um, it is because right here. It's the last day of the last day of June here in Sydney. I know. It really. Yeah. Wow. Like I keep forgetting that you're way ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um, one of one of our big uh, our big areas we we always look at like strategic technologies and strategic things for partners and one of the areas that we think is going to be really strategic is this concept of connectors and ultimately the way I like to describe a connector is right now they're really tied to Office 365 groups uh, that that probably is going to change. In the future, but for today, uh, you know, it's it's centered around group collaboration. And and the idea is is think about a group. You know, a group, regardless of what group it is, is they typically work around a lot of different things. Groups typically maybe have conversations. They have a calendar. They might have some files. They might have a notebook of information. But then they might might also have other things like a third party system, like maybe a some sort of device library, or maybe they have a um, I don't know, uh, a help desk ticket system that they work in, or maybe they work in some sort of CRM application. And the idea behind connectors is, is we want to be able to get, regardless of where information lives, we want to be able to get it all into one place so people can collaborate on it, take action on it, do different things like that. And so connectors allow me to, in a sense, take information that is, um, beneficial to a group and send it into that group uh, so that people can work with it. That's the simple way is just taking third-party data and sending it into a group for collaboration. Okay. So I work best with an example. What, what sort of things might that be? Um, so let's, let's go with the device library. Um, I think most of the listeners of the show, if they're in technology, they're probably geeks like us that like devices. Um, so at, at, at Microsoft, we have, 
a device library and and you can check out devices and use those. So if you don't have an iPad and you need to test something on an iPad, you can go and check one out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's say, you know, Apple's about to announce like a new um, iOS device uh, here in a couple months, I think. Um, the I don't know, it'll be the iPhone 7, I guess. Um, and let's say that I want to know in like in my my little team when that new device is available. Um, like when, when we get it in the library, right. well, through an office 365 connector, I might connect our, like our asset system, like our, our library, I might connect it to office 365 so that anytime, like someone, our librarian, if you will, anytime they go in and they enter in a new device that we just got and puts the little asset tag on it, um, I would immediately be notified of it. And okay. it's not just like an email. Uh, you know, that that's easy. I could go send an email in, but it's something that can even have actions on it. So I might have an action on that, this, this notification that says, I want to check it out. Right. Book it for me. I want to be the next one to use this new thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a feed, but it's on, but it's on steroids. Is that, is that a way of looking at it? Connect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have it, it follows a schema for like the way that uh, the messages look. I mean, it, it it does show up in the form of an email, but it actually follows a very specific schema. So it has an action section to where you can have action links. Um, but uh, what I would say is it, by getting it into the conversations of a group, you can start like truly doing conversation type things on it. You can reply with it. You can at mention people, you can like it, you can do all the conversation type things around, around that. So it it makes it, um, you know, from like maybe a very structured transactional type of thing into something that starts to become more social and starts to be something that again, you can again, have conversations around. People could start discussing this new device, for example, as part of this process. And what could we do with this new thing that's just been checked into the library? And how do you reckon we should do that? Well, here's a link to some, here's a link to some specs and, and uh, you know, here's, here's a screenshot and that all might be part of that conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've already had a number of partners, like there's over a hundred partners that have already built connectors. Some of them Microsoft worked closely with because we were really interested to see what they were doing. But like, so like a a few cool examples are um, Trello. Uh, I don't know how many people might use Trello for doing like um, task and project type management type things, but, you know, imagine hooking Trello into uh, your group. So like if your group's working on a project and new tasks are assigned or closed or, you know, maybe ready for someone to review and approve, um, those can all basically show up and you can have, again, conversations around that. Um, Zendesk that does like more like help desk type ticket management. Um, again, the same sort of concept. Imagine you're part of a, an IT organization and you can kind of monitor and actually, you know, for instance, you get a new ticket that comes in that could be a notification in your group you could go and at mention the person that that opened the ticket to get more information right there um and so it's it's pretty neat um and and the the cool thing is the way that these work is uh, ultimately the third party gets a it's called a webhook mm-hmm. url but it's not really a webhook it's in a sense office 365 gives the third party just an endpoint they can send data into Okay. Um, it's just a rest endpoint that they can go and post data into. So it's not something 
Okay, but so I've seen Twitter, for example. There's a bunch of connector stuff you can do with Twitter, but that's not Twitter's not posting to that endpoint, are they? Am I am I going and and monitoring some other way? How's that How's that work? There's a, there's... Yeah, so Twitter's an interesting connector because it was actually built by Microsoft. It was one of those scenarios where we looked and said, well, hey, Twitter already has a really well documented API, public API. Right. So rather, we don't really need to even go to Twitter and say, hey, you guys, will you build a connector? We just decided, hey, there's enough with the API. We can build it ourselves. And so we think of us as having like a um, like a, 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 a web job or a, an Azure function or some sort mm-hmm. of like process that's running out somewhere that is integrated with their API on one end and integrated with uh, a connector on the other. Got it. And so if I want to, the, the scenario with the Twitter connector is maybe there are certain accounts or hashtags that I want to listen to. And then um, it gives me a couple options. I can be immediately notified of it. Or if like, you're really popular, it provides a, a digest that you can get on a certain duration. Cool. So like, you know, I'm not very popular, but um, I don't know, uh, like Scott Hanselman at Microsoft, who has like hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, um, he probably would want a digest because right. he probably has tons of people mentioning him on a daily basis. I'm so, guessing he's got uh, a personal assistant just to look after his Twitter stuff. I just you think so. Uh, I, you know that just just someone of that of that of that level of the of, of that level of stardom. I need one of those people. And I only have like sixteen followers. So. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yes, so that's cool. So, so we basically built an intermediary service uh, uh, that 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 uh, that listens to that watches Twitter and notifies you when when stuff goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it, got it. it. What I what I like to think about this is you know almost any organization in the world. Um, this building software has transactions. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, think about anything. Like a transaction could be buying something. It could be landing a new customer. It could be um, adding a new contact. It could be opening up a help desk ticket. Any of those transactions, you could think in a way of putting it, like injecting a connector into it. Say, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I'm going to go right to whatever the database is or data store, but I'm also going to call this endpoint and send the data there as well. Um, and so that's kind of the, the benefit here is that you can just easily drop it in. Um, one of the things that they allow is it, there's actually a, it's almost like an OAuth flow. Uh, and I talked about this last week cause I did a, a post of doing connectors with mobile, but, um, what, what basically happens if you can just provide a link on your site that says, Hey, do you want to connect this application or this site to office 365? And when the user clicks on that, we basically just send them through a flow that sends them to, first of all, select what group they want the notification sent to, and then also to consent to say, yeah, I'm going to allow this third party to actually just start bombarding my my inbox, right? Because right. you think in in a way, like you have to be careful with these because it, um, it could, can kind of spam you if you, uh, like, um, let's go back to Scott Hanselman. If Scott Hanselman did the... I want a notification for every time my name is mentioned, it's going to just bombard his inbox. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, um, you know, you, you got to be a little bit careful about, but it's it can be easily just hooked into uh, any website. Yeah, yeah. So I, I set one of these up in my in my demo tenant when I was uh, was when I was first playing with connectors, and I, I I think I must have put it into a different folder. Because there's a folder that just grows almost without bound 
in, in, and I'm not quite positive how to turn it off. I might have to go and do some research on that. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the connectors tab there, it'll show the ones that you have already connected. Um, and so, you know, to me, I see a lot of like our office extensibility stuff. Like, like if you just take one part of it, like if I just have an, like an Outlook add-in, maybe that's not all that interesting. But, you know, when you start combining these things together and start pinning a, like a comprehensive picture of like better productivity inside of Office 365, it, it gets pretty neat. So like I envision the future of, you know, I might have a connector that sends some information that's static data. It can't change. Like you actually have to form the message that gets sent in. Right. So it, it can't change in real time. Right. Well, but maybe I have an, I have an office add in a mail add in that like works in conjunction with it to where, you know, now I might have more, that could be more dynamic because it's a live web page. Um, and so like, I think that you'll start to see like some really powerful scenarios, but at the baseline right now, you, you got millions of people that use Office 365 as an ISV. This gives me ability to like get my data in in front of their eyes. Right, and there's there's some great there's some great resources about how to do this stuff. Uh, I think there's a connectors um, a page on dev.office.com. Uh huh. Yeah. So this was actually just published this week. Um, it's part of like our preparation for this big push next year of connectors. But um, if you go out to, we'll have the link in the show notes. If you go out there, there's everything from a like a quick. If you want like a 15 minute overview of kind of what you can do with connectors, all the way to like a a more advanced, comprehensive like one hour training video. There's lots of samples. So all the samples are. Uh, and labs, there's actually like full like step-by-step labs. We provide those both in .NET and Node, uh, which are two of, uh, in terms of like who we work with, it tends to be the two most popular platforms that we see. Right. And so, uh, yeah, there's all that. And then in some cases, we even have some SDKs. There's, um, uh, we threw together a, a .NET SDK for connectors. And the only reason like there's an SDK uh, is that connectors, they do use a very specific schema so you're sending a big block of json data in that you can you can configure different ways you can say hey i want to send pictures with it or i want uh, like some detail metadata um, and so what json is just not as friendly to work with in net and so this basically is a strongly typed library where you can actually build a message object this makes so much then, sense to me the, yeah the, the, just, the idea that uh, someone else can do all that that heavy lifting work it's only got to be done once and now I can just work with these things in a sense, what seems to be a sensible way, you know, rather than having to futz around with uh, curly braces and commas and quotes. Absolutely. Yeah. So th- <laughs> that's, that's what exactly what this does. In fact, you don't even have to deal with doing the HTTP post. It's all done for you. Just say message.send and it's a, an Love awaitable it. type thing. So Love it. Yeah. Yep. Very, very cool. Uh, and so yeah, uh, check- and what, what are you going to be building next with this stuff? Is this something that you're going to be concentrating pretty hard on? Um, it is. I mean, it's one of those things that we're, again, it's going to be a big push uh, starting in about a month. Uh, you know, if you're a partner now interested in it, let me know. Reach out to me. Reach out to Coates, and we'll, we'd love to hear what your idea is for, for doing things with connectors. But, um, uh, you know, there's my, really my role with connectors is probably going to be more around as new scenarios kind of pop up. So I know they're already that team – the Outlook team owns connectors only because that's where connectors show up is uh, in like the groups area, which is 
displayed through Outlook uh, and OWA is the next step is they're kind of looking at how connectors might relate to an individual um, and then maybe even looking at more advanced type of actions. Uh, right. right now, I can configure all these actions for a message, but the actions are kind of just a link. Uh, it, it's in an actions area, but it, they all have to kind of open up a new web page. But like there, there might be scenarios where you just want to like just click a button and just have it do something. So maybe just run some script. And so I think they're looking heavily at some of those types of scenarios, like how they relate to individuals and how might we allow actions to be performed without the user ever leaving that inbox. Right. Well, I can imagine a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, for example, if you if you were running a help desk and and you would the group was subscribed to new help desk tickets, one of the things you might want to do is mark as complete or something like that. Just a simple yeah, thing like that, right? Imagine approvals, right? Like just a simple approve, reject. I mean, that that would be a, a huge one. I think voting for... on stuff, you know. Yep, that that'd be interesting. Like we're floating this idea, let us know what you think. Give it a rating of one to ten. I'm going to give it a four. Done. I don't have to go off to a web page to do that. That's that just happens, and that goes back into your system somehow, and 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 gets a gets some sort of a, a rating in there. That's pretty neat. Yeah, the um, the the. The Office Dev Center, so the Outlook Dev Center connectors piece is uh, look, look, looks pretty uh, looks pretty comprehensive. There's some there's some cool stuff in there. It tells you how to build your own connector. There's a there's a sandbox which uh, allows you to fiddle with things. But look, I haven't had to play with this yet. But it uh, allows you to to jump in and, and connect. That's that looks pretty neat. It looks like a bit like a, a, a connector explorer. It's almost like um, it's like a fiddler that they've built right. specific for uh, yeah connectors. So, yeah, like the, yeah. Uh, well, I guess Graph Explorer has been so so successful and so popular that it makes yeah. a bunch of sense to do the same sort of thing here, right? Yep, absolutely. Very very neat. Okay, yeah, like I'm definitely gonna have a play with that. Look, looks like lots of fun. And uh, as you said, you, links in the show notes. I want you to go build the the voting one. Like I think that's possible today. Uh, you'd have to send them to a. A browser, but I, I still think you could actually achieve it by certain like URL parameters that you put on the link. So that that's your homework for the the week. <laughs> You're gonna do that. I, I'm going on leave tomorrow, man, and I've got other other projects that are in my backlog. But that sounds like lots of fun. We I might that might be something for the the plane trip. Except it's always hard to get at the uh, these online docks when you when you're at uh, thirty eight thousand feet. So what are, you've been busy wrapping up uh, before your leave? What have you been working on these days? So the thing that's been keeping me really busy is uh, uh, the reason I'm coming across the states uh, in uh, in the middle of next month is that I'm um, I'm presenting at, uh, at one of our internal technical conferences and, and and the inspiration for the for the presentation was a a, a, a bit of work you did on um, wrapping up the Excel uh, APIs in in, uh, in in the graph uh, to use Excel as a as a backend a data backend and and um, uh, you you put together a, a little expenses app in, in Cordova and and, uh, uh, and and showed that off and I thought well look that would be just as easy to do in in uh, in, a, in a, a rich client like a, a Windows client but even more fun would be to play with the new stuff in Xamarin Forms and the uh, and the authentication piece with uh, the Microsoft authentication library and so that's what the presentation ended up being and so I'm in the middle of uh, of, of writing the code for that of course always tweaking always always playing with that that that's that, that lots of fun and it, it the 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 exposing this stuff through Xamarin Forms, there's just something magical about getting it to run on Windows, which is great, and then just changing the, the changing the, the the target and say, okay, now I want to see it running on Android, and now I want to see it running on i uh, on iOS, and bam, there it is, it just does. The, 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 they've uh, they've done a really nice job with that uh, that set of libraries, and and I'm discovering some really interesting things, not just about um, 
not just about Office Dev, but also about uh, about some of the quirks of, of, of the Xamarin Forms platform. And uh, it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I'll, I'm in the middle of a of a, a post, a blog post about it, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll link to that when that's done. So, what has your your experience been thus far in in doing it? Because I mean, I've seen. And I've done probably the the most I've done in the Xamarin world is done kind of hello world type of things. And, you know, for cross platform, I've always gravitated more towards uh, Cordova, which right. it's, you know, if you're a web developer, that's natural. Um, like how how have you felt like like for hello world, it seemed to be pretty easy for me to concentrate all of my code in like a shared library where I didn't have to rewrite it. Are you finding that to be true? Um, with with kind of getting more elaborate and using more APIs and things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So th- there are um, a couple of things that I've needed to put literally two um, literally two platform specific files that I needed to put in the um, uh, iOS and Android uh, projects because um, MSAL requires it, it needs to know what platform it's running on so I can pop up the appropriate dialogues for uh, for authentication. But these are just uh, two class library, two two C sharp class libraries of about fifteen lines of code each. That um, that you write once and 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 that's you never see again. Um, everything else, literally everything else, is in the is in the shared is in the 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 the, um, the, the portable class library um, for me at the moment, um, including all of the all the stuff around um, uh, showing images. Now, if I wanted to get more. Um, get fancier if I wanted to get more um, uh, uh, let's say um, uh, designer uh, friendly then I could do a bunch of things in the in the individual uh, uh, application sorry the individual project for for each each platform but at the moment I haven't needed to every piece of code that goes off and talks to the back end every piece of code that uh, that displays stuff on the screen every piece of code that uh, I'm using a, an MVVM pattern every piece of code that that binds from the uh, from the from the view into the view model uh, is all in the portable class library and it's uh, it's it's a I really like it. It, it. It's a great way of working with things. But the the thing that I think is really really powerful is that I don't have. I'm not restricted to doing one or the other. The the great thing about the the, the way Xamarin is set up is that I can choose to do some of my views in the, the in, in in the common libraries and to break out and do some of the other views that might make more sense to to be hand coded individually for each platform. But I can still have all of the business logic running at the back end, uh, and it's it's uh, it's a great it's a great thing. Um, yeah, it's uh, if, if if you if you want to check out the work in progress, um, I might put a I might put a link in the in the notes for for that. It's uh, just up on GitHub, and uh, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. I'm also I'm also experimenting with some group stuff at the moment. It's for example how easy it is to bring down images the, the group image and display it in the in the uh, in the Xamarin form. Really really straightforward. Very cool. And then like so, do you find like the Xamarin forms? Is it is it pretty true to? Like the, I know it actually uses native controls, but are they kind of style? Like for instance, um, a good example is tabs. Tabs on an iOS device are always um, uh, they're always at the bottom usually, whereas tabs on in Material Design and Android are always at the top. And then um, in on Windows, sometimes tabs take the form of like these um, pivot control. Yeah, the pivot control. Right. So is it is it pretty good? In, yeah, it's in very good. It's very good at that sort of stuff. Um, I think when you get to really complex forms, uh, it's obviously got to make some decisions about how to display stuff. But it is literally using uh, native controls. This is one of the, the the exciting things about the Xamarin piece is that it's it's a, a single code base, but it compiles down to true native 
code using the truly native controls. And so the XAML you use is uh, essentially an abstraction that says, um, uh, here's the sort of thing I want you to lay out. And when you, when you build this for iOS, then use the, the star kit pieces. When you, use it, when you build it for Android, use the Android native controls. And when you build it for Windows, use, these, use the Windows native controls. Uh, and, and it's very, very uh, – it, 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 it's really good at that. Um, as I said, uh, the, the, if you're building a, a consumer application, you might want to build some or all of your views handcrafted, and that's easy enough to do. Um, and you can do them uh, using the, 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 native, um, the, the, the native tooling to do that, or you can, you can write it in, in code. To, uh, to do that, and so you can generate a bunch of those things. Uh, but if you're, especially if you're doing a line of business stuff or, or the, the you know the administrative the, the administration pieces of your um, of your application, then it does make a bunch of sense to to write that stuff once, test it once, you know, you know, revise it once, uh, and uh, and that's all. Very very neat. So what are you um, obviously for things like Windows? You can use the the local machine or like a the you know Windows emulator. Um, what do you find yourself using for like things like Android? So I'm I'm definitely using the um, the Visual Studio Android emulator that comes that came with um, I think with update three of, of VS 2015. Great bit of kit because it runs on Hyper V, um, and so uh, it's always been built using Android emulators has always been a bit fraught because most of the most of the Android emulators were either um, the, the one that came with the, the the comes with the Android SDK actually pops up a warning before it starts saying this is really slow don't use this <laughs> which, which always which always uh, amuses me because why would you ship something that you're telling people not to use but the um, but then you know there were there were the Genomotion uh, emulators um, uh, and and a bunch of others uh, uh, Intel ship one that ran uh, uh, on, uh, on on a hypervisor um, uh, uh, platform. The problem with that, of course, was that you had now you had about three different hypervisors trying to run all simultaneously on your on your uh, on your uh, box, which especially if you're running it in. Um, in, in, a, in a virtual machine already, because if you're running on a Mac, we'll talk about the Mac in a minute. Then you're probably running your Windows. You're probably running your Windows OS in a uh, in a virtual machine already. You started getting to this this area where you had to three or tried to get three or four levels of hypervisor running. It just didn't play the game. So the new the new emulator for Android on Visual Studio runs as a Hyper-V image. Awesome. Uh, runs really really well. It runs next to the um, to the uh, to the Windows 10. With, uh, phone emulator beautifully. That's great. Um, and then for the iOS piece, I um, I do most of my um, most of my cross-platform dev work uh, that need, that is using iOS on a MacBook Pro uh, running um, running Windows 10 in uh, in parallel. Sorry, in in, in Fusion. Uh, and the reason I get that confused is because I asked the when I first set it up, I asked the um, asked the Xamarin guys, you know, should I use Parallels or Fusion? They said, well, which one has come out the most recently? And I said, well, Fusion has. And they said, well, use that one. And next time you build your box, find out which, come, which one's come out the most recently and use that one. And that's, that's apparently the, uh, the decision tree they use at, uh, at Xamarin to decide which one of those they're going to use on, their, on, on a new box they put together. And the reason yeah. you need the reason you need uh, a Mac in the process is because you still need to use, because you're building native applications, you need the native build tools for each of the platforms. And so on uh, for iOS, that's Xcode. And you need access to Xcode, and Xcode runs on uh, on uh, on uh, Mac OS. Uh, so you need to have that somewhere in the in the uh, in the in the build tree. And, and you've got a couple of options there. One is you can you can do what I do when I'm on the road and and use uh, the MacBook Pro with um, uh, uh, with with a virtual machine running Windows, uh, or 
what I've got in my office is I've got a little Mac Mini that lives up on the shelf, uh, just quietly out of the way. Without it's head, completely headless. Um, I um, I, uh, uh, I I make I, oops, sorry. I, my 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 Mac Mini just lives lives up on the shelf. I I can um, remote into it with VNC if I have to, but with the new um, with a new way of uh, of showing the the uh, uh, iOS simulator, you don't even need to do that. It, it gets brought down onto the local machine too. So that's um, it's a it's a good point is that you can this and this is the same for Cordova for both Xamarin and Cordova are identical with this is if you want to do anything with iOS unfortunately like Android Java can run on a Mac and Java can run on a PC and therefore you can typically do Android development anywhere. Um, Windows development has to be done on Windows. iOS development has to be done on iOS, uh, and or I'm sorry, on on a Mac. On a Mac. Yep. And for the Mac, uh, I found myself for about a year carrying around two computers. I'd have a, a Surface and I'd have a little uh, MacBook Air, and I would just as long as they could talk to each other on the same network, you were good. You could right. establish. You can do remote debugging to another machine, but then I found that. I'd go to some of these conferences and like the network would like they'd have something on the network that wouldn't allow them to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just obviously you're on a, a network, a shared network with, you know, everyone at the conference. And, you know, they, they had some security in place that wouldn't allow them to see each other. So then, like, I started carrying around a, like literally my own wireless router to conferences and then finally, it was actually uh, James uh, Montan. Uh, oh, I always forget how to say his name. Mont- Montemegro yep. from uh, Xamarin. Uh, we've had him on the show before. I feel bad. Uh, but uh, James basically said, "Well, that's the whole reason I use a MacBook Pro is um, when I run Windows as a VM on iOS, it's like a private network, and they, they like." There's nothing anyone can do to stop them from seeing each other because it's your own private network. And yep. like that's that's the sole reason. And I always get weird looks. You know, I, when I go into a Microsoft office or I go to a conference and they're like, hey, why is the Microsoft guy carrying a Mac? And then that is the main reason is mobile development is just um, – it, it's for me, it just – it works better by having that closed – environment totally uh, and the um the I, I agree entirely the other thing that i love about the the way that um that that uh, fusion and parallels are set up is that you can actually set aside some of the cores um in 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 the processor so that they're not used by the um but by the windows virtual machine and they're put aside so that they can be used by machine by, by virtual machines that windows wants to run so you, I was talking about before this idea that you had you know, hypervisors running inside hypervisors, and that just didn't work. The, the idea now is that you can say, uh, when I when I set up my uh, when I set up my uh, uh, um, virtual machine for Windows running in in parallels or in Fusion, uh, as part of that parameter, I'm going to say I'm going to put aside two of the eight cores on this machine to to be the hypervisor cores for. Um, my Windows Phone emulator and my Android emulator that run inside the Windows VM, and that's that. That's very cool tech. Awesome. Well, I'm anxious to uh, to see the work that you've done on that, and uh, I know uh, we should tell, I guess, the listeners a little bit about the the conference. You know, we do we do this thing at Microsoft twice a year called Tech Ready, and it's it's our internal readiness. It's a tech conference. And it's not like it's not like you know if you're a big company you might have some internal tech conferences. There is nothing that I've seen at this scale. This is like a full-sized like tech ed 
uh, that's done twice a year inside. It's all Microsoft employees. I mean, it's really impressive the scale of this conference. Um, I just got the just got the session list today of, uh, of the schedule, and it's it's a big spreadsheet, and there's a there's a there's a conference site, and it's it's pretty it, it, it's very very full on. And this is the twenty third one they've run. It's uh, it's it's very cool. I think Norm Judah has been the, the the guy running that for the since the beginning of, of Tech Ready. So kudos to him. Yep. Yeah. So this will. Uh... That'll be here, uh, I guess, the towards the end of July. That last so. week, that last week of July, yeah. And in, in, well, here when you say here, not there where you are. I don't think it's up in Seattle. Well, that, here, here, here is. Like so the, oil here. Yeah. The, the other thing I love about this conference is that it's always, always run in Seattle. Uh, lots of our other sales conferences, in, uh, international sales conferences, are run sort of all around the place. I think this year the the, the big get-togethers in Orlando. So other times it's in. Um, uh, um, uh, Atlanta or it's been in Chicago, but we always run the tech conferences in Seattle. And the beautiful thing about that is as a tech guy, you can go out and talk to the, the engineers who live on campus who, to, who don't get let out of their little dark rooms, essentially, um, which, which is great. So I tend to go over a week earlier and, and, and hang out on campus, which is, which is a, a big injection for me of, 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 uh, of Microsoft goodness. I, I love that. And so I'm, gonna, I'm looking, looking forward to taking that, that opportunity to catch up with a bunch of people over there the week before. You pick the right one too. You know, we do this. We do it in the summer and we do it in the winter. And like the summer in Seattle is amazing, like that absolutely amazing. And then, <laughs> but but in in the winter, Seattle is not so amazing. It's like very depressing, rainy, and never see like the sun. And uh, so yeah, it's definitely getting the summer schedule because usually we send people once about a once a yeah, year. Yeah. Thereabouts. And so you're you're either on the winter schedule or the summer schedule, and um, so you, you got you have the good one. I mean, I've been to every literally every summer one we've done, and I've never been to a winter one. And I want to keep it that way. I have been to Seattle in February. It's not a place I want to go. In fact, it's interesting. We we call we call the summer the summer um, uh, conference recruiting week because people go there and they go, oh, this is, I could live here. Yeah, maybe I'll move to Seattle. That's fantastic. And, and, you know, they, they, they go across to Bainbridge Island, they get on the ferry and the sun's shining and Mount Rainey is in the distance and the, the, the days are long and the, the weather's balmy and, you know, there's a, a, lots of bonhomie, everyone, everyone's happy in the streets. But, you know, just a little tip to those people who might be considering it, uh, if, if anyone's listening, do make sure you go there in, uh, in February when it's sleeting and, and, and it's dark at three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, just, just to check it out, just to make sure that, uh, that you've got a balanced view of things. All right, before we get the uh, Seattle Tourism Board upset with us, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and end this show today. It's been a pleasure, Coates. I hope you have a uh, – you're not going to be with me next week. Is that right? No, I'm off on leave. I'm going to enjoy some balmy parts of Australia before I, uh, before I jet on up to, uh, to Seattle the following week. All right, we'll uh, have safe travels. We'll look forward to doing some shows together in the same room. Uh, but have a great week, and we'll see everyone again next week. Thanks, Rich. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.